Let's jump into it. I want to tell you guys a. a when Jackie and I lived in Knoxville, um, before we moved to Memphis to start Kyle and all this kind of things, there was a restaurant uh, there in Knoxville called Soccer Taco. And it was a Mexican-themed sports bar and grill kind of thing. And uh, we'd go there with the guys man, to watch a game and to eat man, way too much Mexican food. And they had a particular dish, particular entree uh, there at Soccer Taco. Man, the first time we went, we saw it on the menu. It was called the American Eagle. The American Eagle was an enormous taco. A taco so big it needed two full-size flour tortillas you know, to contain it. It would fill the entire elongated plate. It was so much food. And packed in there with meat and cheese and refried beans and sour cream and guacamole, all that stuff packed in there. Probably all of the calories uh, that you would need for a whole week, you know, packed into this one taco. It's, uh, this is not it, but to kind of give you an idea uh, of the scale. So a very, very large, just massive thing. And so, and it says that in the description on the menu, um, that it is just absolutely enormous. Very, it's the it's the American Eagle. Very, it's very American sized. Uh, and so you're looking at that thing. And you're thinking, I do not need that. But oh, I want that, right? This is not good for me. I know this is not good for me. Not good for me. Uh, but yeah, I've got to have it. So we, we definitely ordered those, American Eagles. Uh, and I don't know that I finished it. I probably felt disgusting after. Um, but, but, but no one, no one. This is, this is not the healthy option, right? But, but this is something I want really bad. Um, so when it's bad for you, but you've got to have it anyway, right? You guys have all, all experienced this. Maybe with the food, maybe a food decision you regretted later, that you're looking at that, man, that giant piece of cake, that giant whatever that is, uh, and this thing is, I don't need to eat this, but I'm going to do it anyway. I've got to have it. Or they made an impulse purchase uh, that was not great for your bank account, right? That, that financially was not good for you. Um, and wiped out my bank account on concert tickets or the newest gadget or gizmo or whatever. And so it's like, this is not good for me financially. You know, whatever I'm going for, right? Or maybe, or maybe relationally. Well, we just came off Valentine's Day, you know, earlier this week, and that makes people stupid and desperate and make really dumb relationship decisions. I've seen it again and again and again. And sometimes, you know, we see that guy. He's handsome. We see that girl. She's pretty. We're lonely. We know. We know it's going to be trouble, right? We know. I mean, this person's not good for me. But whatever, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go for it. I know this is bad for me, but but I but I want it. I'm going to go for it anyway. We've all we've all been there, right? Um, and so that mindset that, man, I know it's bad for me, but I'm going to go after it anyway. I know it's bad for me, but I have to have it. Uh, and that's the mindset that we're going to find uh, the people of Israel in and the text that we're jumping into tonight. Um, and the people of Israel, man, well, we're going to pick up with them uh, tonight in First Samuel. They've got it good. They've got it good. God has led them out of captivity in Egypt. Um, they, they've traveled through the wilderness, and now they've, they've settled in the promised land, the land that God promised to them through Abraham. Uh, they've settled in the land God is blessing them. He's favoring them. Uh, God himself is ruling over them. They've got it, they've got it good. They've got it good. But uh, and they want to reject all that for something that they know is bad for them. They want to replace God as the focal point of their lives, the focal point of their culture, so that they can have a human king just like the nations that surround them. Uh, so we're going to pray, and then we're going to take a look at it tonight. If you have your Bibles, it's 1 Samuel uh, chapter 8. And if not, then the, the, the text is going to be back up there. Father God, uh, thank you again for a chance to come and look at the Word uh, together as a body, as a family. Um, pray that you would have your way 
in our meeting tonight, God, that you would speak only what you want spoken, that you prepare our hearts to receive your word. What do you want us to learn tonight, God? What do you want us to get out of this text to help us to stretch and grow and be the men and women of God that you want us to be? God, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we've been going through a series here on Thursday nights that we kicked off at the beginning of the semester called Greatest Hits. And it takes a look at the big, key, important moments of the Old Testament through the lens like it was a Greatest Hits album. You know, and if you guys uh, have never tackled the Old Testament before, it makes up a huge, a huge chunk of your Bible. That's, that's a lot of reading there, hundreds and hundreds of pages, and sometimes it's difficult to know, man, what, what are the, the key concepts I need to get out of this? Because um, Old Testament, there's a lot there, but it's also very, very important to us. It, lay, it lays, gives us context uh, to help us to understand the New Testament, understand the person and work of Jesus. Uh, it lays the groundwork for our faith, um, and it's very important for us to know. Um, and it shows us what God's purpose is in the world, what God's purpose is in our lives, uh, what, God's, what God wants out of each of us specifically. And so with this series, we're not trying to tackle all of it, right? We're not trying to tackle everything that's in the Old Testament. Hopefully it whets your appetite to want to dive into that more on your own. We're going to hit the big key concepts, the important stuff, uh, big key notes, big key concepts in the Old Testament and unpacking them uh, to give us a better understanding of this framework uh, that the whole rest of our faith is built on. So we kicked things off uh, a few weeks ago. Um, looking in Genesis, that, that we're made in the image of God. That, that each and every one of us are created in God's image, and because we're created in God's image, uh, we have dignity and value and worth. Um, that, that, that that image of God has been tainted by sin and by the fall, but still God has a plan uh, to redeem us back to himself. Uh, we talked about the covenant, the promise that God made with Abraham, that he was going to bless him and bless the whole world through him. We looked at the covenant that God made with the people of Israel uh, through Moses. You know, that he was going to call this people to be a people unto himself, that he was going to bless them. And we looked at the law uh, that, that God gave the people through Moses. We talked about what that law means for us today. And again, you missed any of these, uh, it's okay. They're available online. You can listen to them uh, online and, and, and catch up all, all the messages from, from this semester there to listen to. Jackie last week showed the story of Jonah and, and talked about um, and what is God's heart for the nations, that every single person on this planet will get a chance to hear about him and hear about what he's done for them. And we talked about obedience. And what does obedience look like in our own heart? When God's asked us to do something. And, and uh, man, it's a struggle to obey. Um, and that, and that, that skit was perfect. That drama earlier was perfect illustration of that. When we know we're supposed to share you know, with somebody. And, and we want to make up excuses. Want to make up loopholes. Why that doesn't apply to us. Why it doesn't have to be us that, that shares. And, and, and man, the heart of God there in Jonah. Uh, is that we take this message. This good news we have about God. That we take it to the people around us. So tonight we're going to continue the story of the people of Israel. They've been rescued from slavery in Egypt. They spent some years in the wilderness. And now they've settled in the land that God had promised them through Abraham. God himself rules over them uh, through prophets, through judges that he appoints. And where we pick up in the story tonight, we see that the people of Israel... they want what the nations around them have. They look at the nations that surround them and they say, we want what they have. We want a human king. You know, God speaks to us through the prophets. God appoints judges to, to lead us. But, but man, we kind of we see this, these other nations have kings and queens. There's a monarchy there. We want that. We want a human king that we can see with our own eyes, that we can hear with our own ears. Um, and, uh, and, and throughout the narrative so far, man, throughout the whole Old Testament so far, um, we've seen that Israel has an ongoing problem with idolatry. Um, an ongoing problem where they're continually turning to things other than God to save them, turning to things other than God to worship. 
Um, when Moses and went up on Mount Sinai to, and to talk with the Lord and get the covenant uh, and, and the laws to deliver to the people, uh, he's up on Mount Sinai uh, for, for 40 days. And while he's up there, I guess the people get tired of waiting and they say, hey, let's melt our jewelry and we're just going to make an idol for ourselves to worship while we wait, right? Uh, so bring in all the gold. We're going to melt it in a fire. We're going make to a, make a little baby cow out of it. And we're going to worship that thing. Um, even though God has just spectacularly delivered them out of slavery in Egypt with uh, signs and wonders and miracles, uh, and still that heart towards idolatry. I mean, we want to, God, we know you're there, but we want to worship something else. Um, and, and we see the Israelites do this again and again and again, turning to something other than God uh, to put their trust in, something other than God to love, to worship. Uh, again and again they do this. Um, so our track tonight, um, track five, is going to be called Empire to Exile. Empire to Exile. And if you have your Bibles, like I said, we're going to be picking up in 1 Samuel chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 4. So at this time, Samuel is a prophet that God has, God has put over the people uh, to lead the people, to speak the word of God to the people. Um, he's a godly man. He hears clearly from the Lord. Uh, he's getting older, and his sons are not so great. right? So he's getting older. His sons are not so great, and the people are wanting a change. They're looking at the nations around them. They're jealous of them, and they say, hey, we, we want what they have going on. We want a human king. Um, so we're going to pick up in verse 4 and take a look at it together. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 4. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old. That's what you like to hear, right? <laughs> we've, called, we've called a very important meeting. Item number one, you are old. Uh, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as the other nations have. Verse 6. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. And his heart was broken. He said, basically, what they're what they're doing is they say, "Man, we don't we don't just want to follow God. We we want to have a human that's in charge." So this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, "Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they've rejected me as their king." And the people of Israel they had a king. It was God. God Himself ruled over them through the prophets, through the judges. Uh, and, and Samuel comes to God brokenhearted. Uh, feeling like feeling like he's been rejected, uh, and God says, "It's not you. They rejected Samuel. It's me." Man, you may have had a time where you tried to share share the Lord with somebody, tried to share your faith with somebody, and they were not having any of it, right? And that's discouraging, right? That, hurt, that hurts. It's like, oh man, there's tons of rejection that comes with that. Um, and this verse is a good reminder that, that man, when they man, we, we try to share your faith, and that you meet, met with rejection. It's not you they're rejecting. It's not personal, right? It's not they're not rejecting. Ever. They're not rejecting Sarah, right? God says, it's, it's me they're rejecting. Samuel, it's me they're rejecting. Verse 8. As they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly, and let them know what the king who will reign over them uh, will claim as his rights. Uh, so, so, so God says, man, I, I'm willing to give them a king. Uh, but I want you to warn them, it's not going to be however they think, however they have in their mind that it's going to be super awesome to have a human king. It's not, so give them a good warning of that. Uh, and he does. In the next, next section, he goes on to warn them. He says, if you have a king, that means he's going to conscript, conscript an army. He's going to take your sons, uh, and he's going to send them off to war. He's going to take your daughters, and they're going to be maids in his palace, all these kind of things. Uh, he's going to take a tenth of everything you got. He's going to take some of your, uh, from your farm. He's going to take some of your money. It's not... It's not going to be however you have in your mind it's going to be. This is going to be a bad thing for you. 
Remember, like, like we said earlier, man, the human heart, sometimes we look at a thing, we know it's bad. We say, man, I don't care, I want it anyway. I know this is going to be bad for me, but man, I don't care, I have to have it. Uh, and so, so Samuel warns him, you know, man, man God, God will give you a king if that's really what you want, but it's not going to be a good thing for you. Um, and God says he's going to grant their request to appoint a king. But he sees in their heart that it's idolatry that's the problem. It's not a king. Wanting a king's not the problem. The, the, the idea that, 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 they, that they want to trust in a, a human being to lead them instead of trusting in God, that's a problem. And that heart of idolatry that raises itself again and again and again, that's the problem. So he warns them again in 1 Samuel chapter 12. 1 Samuel 12, um, the second half of verse 20, we'll pick up there. It says, Make sure now that you worship the Lord with all your heart and don't turn your back on Him. Don't go back to worshiping worthless idols that cannot help you or rescue you. They are totally useless. He says, okay, I'll give you a king. But understand this, man. You've still got to serve the Lord. You've still got to be faithful to the Lord. God still needs to be God. Don't go back to serving idols. Don't go back to serving idols. Don't go back to to putting your trust in other things to save you. Um, Don't let this king become a God king like some of the neighboring nations had. Some of the countries around Israel, uh, and they're, they're... their, their king was also, was also a god. Um, and so whatever he said was the ultimate authority in the land. And he says, man, that's, it shouldn't be that case with you. Let God be God. You need to trust in God. Don't turn to these worthless idols. And he says, because these things are useless. Some of these, your translations might say empty. These things can't really save you. They can't really help you. This, this image that you've carved out of rock or stone or wood, end of the day, it's not really going to help you at all. Right? You're desperate. You need rescuing. You've got another army invading to come and take all your stuff. Uh, that thing that you carved out of a stump in the backyard is not going to save you from the invading army. Right? Your kids are sick and dying because a plague is coming through the land. Man, this, this rock that you like carved a smiley face into, end of the day, is not going to make your kids well. Right? These things are useless. They're empty. They have no value at all. Uh, so don't turn back to them. Don't, don't trust in them to save you. Every single one of us, every single one of us has a tendency towards idolatry. Now, we can look at the Israelites and be like, ha, 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 they're so dumb. But every single one of us does that. Every single one of us has a tendency towards idolatry. Again and again and again, we make something other than God the focal point of our lives. We, we take a, a role like leader or king, uh, and we place something other than God uh, in that role in our lives instead. And as Samuel warns us, whatever it is that you're trusting in instead of the Lord, it can't really help you. End of the day, whatever you're putting your trust in, if it's not God, if you're not trusting in the Lord, uh, it's useless. It can't really save you. You cannot really depend on it. And if you make your life about that thing, whatever it is, uh, and you've wasted your life, and you've distanced yourself from the one that really can help you and the one that really does love you. Um, So when we think of idols... I use some examples because, man, back in that time, people would carve literal statues to worship in their house, in their yard. Um, the prophet Isaiah shares a story, and I think it's supposed to be pointed and humorous so we can realize how foolish it is. He shares a story about a guy that goes out into the woods and chops down a tree, and he, so he brings this log back to his house, and he cuts it in half, and half of it he carves into an idol. He makes himself a god to worship, and the other half he cuts up for firewood in his fireplace. And Isaiah is saying, man, how dumb is that? And how do you know which half of this big log is God and which half is your firewood? What if you got it mixed up, right? Then you're in trouble. And he's saying, man, no, it's stupid, it's stupid. This, this thing that you carved, how could it possibly be God? 
This thing that you made with your own hands, how could that possibly save you? Um, And you should worship the true God. The true God. Uh, And so we may think of idols. When you hear the word idol, you may think a statue, a carving. And I think of like Indiana Jones, Regis the Lost Ark, when he's got like he's got to get that get that statue and sneak it out of the cave, and then the big stone ball rolls and chases him out of the cave, and there's there's traps and stuff going off. Um, that's not the only limited definition of idol. Man, an idol is anything, anything that takes God's place in your life, anything at all that takes God's place in your life, takes God's place in your heart, anything at all that you're putting your trust in, your hope in, instead of the Lord. That thing's an idol. Right? So, I know most of you guys, probably 100% of you guys do not have some carved statue like in your closet at home that you're bowing down and worshiping. But that doesn't mean you don't struggle with idolatry. Anything in your life that's taking God's place, that thing's an idol. Anything that's taking God's place uh, in our life, in our heart, is the focal point of our life, is crowding out God in our life, that thing can be an idol. Um, it might be a hobby. A hobby, something that takes up so much of your time, you're so invested in that thing, you don't have time to pray. You don't have time to read the Bible. Right? You don't have time to fellowship with other Christians. Man, that thing's an idol. Man, it might be a relationship that takes up so much of your time, so much of your love and attention uh, that you find yourself not having much time at all for God. And I, man, it's not always negative things or bad things. It can be good things. Man, your, your schoolwork, your, your career, your family relationships, these are all good things. But when they take up so much of your focus, so much of your time that they crowd out God in your life, and they've, they've slipped from that good thing category and they've become an idol for you. And so, so what we constantly have to do as, as Christians is, is run a self-evaluation. Um, are the things in my life uh, becoming more than just things? Are they becoming idols because they're crowding out God in my life? Or, or is God and the focus of my life, is He still number one? Um, is He getting all the attention, the, the worship, the love, the devotion for me that He deserves? Am I putting my trust in God to save me? Am I, or am I really trusting my own ability to do good, my own ability to produce and do and make for myself in life, my own ability to uh, get good grades, my own ability to man, please people or, or have relationships, all these kind of things. If we're trusting in that, if we're deriving man, our, our, our sense of identity uh, and, and purpose from, from that instead of God, that, that stuff's become an idol for us. And it can be a good thing, but man, if it takes God's place, then it's an idol. Does that make sense? And so, so, so the people of Israel, man, here... Uh, they've got God as their leader, God as their king, and they said, no, we reject that. We want a human king instead. And God, and God, God submits. He says, okay, I'll give you a human king. You're not going to like it. I'm just going to tell you you're not going to like it, but I'm going to give it to you. Um, and so, so God uh, anoints a man named Saul to be king. And on the outside, man, Saul looks like the man. He's like head and shoulders taller than everybody in the room. Um, he, he, man, good, strong, handsome-looking guy. And he starts out looking like he's going to be a pretty great king, a pretty good king. Um, but over time, and you see Saul make compromise after compromise, you see him slipping into disobedience and into pride, uh, and he ends up being a wicked king, and God rejects him as king uh, and says, I'm going to choose someone else to be king instead. Uh, God then chooses a young man named David to be king. You guys might have heard of David, uh, and, and if not, I mean, the, 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 the Bible's got a lot of good stuff to say about David that we're just, for the purpose of this series, not going to spend a whole lot of time on. If you guys were in Kyle last year, we, we touched on a lot of the life of David uh, in our Psalm series, but he picks this guy, David, young guy who is not royalty. He's not a super wealthy guy. Um, he's, he's the youngest of his family, and he's a shepherd boy, right? He takes care of sheep uh, and protects them out in the field. But God says, I picked this guy. I want him to be the next king of Israel because of his heart. 
Right? He sees what, what people don't see. He looks at his heart and says, this is a man after my own heart. This is a man that really loves me and serves me, and I think he's going to make a great king. Uh, so he anoints David to be king. Um, you know, you know, Samuel goes and he anoints David to be king. David doesn't become king overnight. Um, you know, God, God uh, and puts him on a path to become a uh, military leader in Israel. He leads Israel into uh, victory against um, in this neighboring country that hated their guts called the Philistines. Uh, leads them into military victory after military victory. People are singing songs about David. Very popular dude. Uh, Saul, who's still king at the time, and he's thinking hates David because he's jealous, right? He says, this guy's coming to take my job. So he tries to have him killed. He tries to have him killed again and again. Uh, David has to flee for his life. He spends years and years and years just hiding out in the wilderness, hiding out in caves. Uh, this is the guy who would one day be king until the time comes that Saul dies and David is anointed to be king. And David is a pretty great king. He's not perfect, right? And really, man, when you're looking at the Bible, and this is something I love about the scriptures, uh, is that other than God, other than Jesus, man, none of the people's lives you see in the Bible are perfect. Every single one of them, man, they're real people, right? And, and the Bible records them as real people with all of their mistakes, with all of their failures, all of their screw-ups. Uh, there's some times that David, as much as David loves the Lord, there's times he blows it royally, that he fails spectacularly. And so we have that right there in the Bible. One of the reasons we know uh, that the Bible man, is, a, is a true historical account is that man, these figures are not created into these bigger-than-life legends who are, who are flawless and perfect. Right? We see their failures. We see when they mess up. So David was a good king, loved the Lord. Yeah, he messed up, um, but, but, he, but he loved the Lord. He tried, he tried to lead the people to follow the Lord. Uh, he has a king named Solomon who becomes king after him. Uh, man, man, Solomon, again, starts out as a, as a good king, um, but, but as, he, as he takes more wives from neighboring countries, he starts to serve the idols of some of the neighboring countries, and he introduces idol worship uh, back into Israel. The thing Samuel warned him against, hey, you can have a king, but don't go back to serving idols. Um, and Solomon introduces that into the kingdom again. Um, there, with, with, uh, with Solomon's kids, there's, there, there's some division, there's some rivalry, and the kingdom splits in two after Solomon. And you've got, uh, you've got half the kingdom, uh, a big chunk of the kingdom to the north, and then a smaller chunk of the kingdom to the south. Um, and the kingdom split into Israel and Judah. Uh, so you've got a divided kingdom with two sets of kings that go on for many years after that. And many of these kings are wicked. Many of these kings uh, aren't serving the Lord. They don't have a heart to know God. They have a heart uh, to serve, to serve idols, to do evil. And so as you're, as you're going through the history of the kings, and you're in the book of First uh, and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, and you're reading about these kings, uh, often it says that this king was, did evil in the sight of the Lord and led the people into idolatry. You see that again and again and again. There was a few... A few good kings in there. There's a couple kings in there that said, Hey, man, we've messed up. We've got to get back to God. We've got to get back to God. So they would call for, call for an assembly and they'd say, Hey, we need, to, we need to return to the Lord. We need to tear down uh, all of these idols that we've built up and these, these poles we've built up and, um, and these images we've built up uh, that the people are worshiping. Tear down all that. We need to return to the Lord. There's a few kings like that, but many of the kings were wicked. Many of the kings led the people farther away from God and deeper into idolatry. Um, and it's funny because idolatry is what led them to ask for a king in the first place. And then these wicked kings just lead them further, further into idolatry. Further, further away from God. But even in all that wickedness, all that idolatry, God is still able to work through that system of kings to bring the Savior that He promised. So we talked about David. He raises up this king, David, uh, this man after his own heart. And through David's descendants, he promises that he's going to raise up one who will be king forever. One of David's descendants, it says, will reign and his reign will have no end. 
Um, Isaiah prophesies about him in Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah 9 verse 6. Prophesying about this king who would come one day, Isaiah says, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. Isaiah says there's going to become a descendant of David. One of David's great, 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 however many great grandsons is going to be a king whose reign will know no end. He's going to be a good king, and, and he's not going to be just a human king, but he's going to be God. He says, man, he's going to be mighty God, wonderful counselor, prince of peace, everlasting father. Uh, that we're going to return to a place again where God himself is your king. And he's going to be a descendant of David. And so I'm, so I'm thinking if I'm, if I'm an ancient Israelite, I'm like, how does that work? I don't know, right? But God's got a plan. God's got a plan. God's got a plan, and he, and he made this plan at the very beginning of time. Um, before, before humans screwed up and blew it, he had already made a plan uh, that he's going to send a Savior to make, to make us right with him. Uh, that, that God, at just the right time, is going to step into human history um, as, as a man, as a human being, as Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. Uh, step into human history to reveal God's heart to us, to reveal uh, man, how we should serve God, how we should live for God, and then to take our place, take the punishment we deserved on a cross, dying for us, uh, so that we could be forgiven of all of our sins and made right with God. Um, G- Jesus was raised from the dead three days later, conquering death forever, and ascended into heaven uh, with a promise to one day come back again. Now when Jesus enters into history, when Jesus steps into the, to, to, to human history, uh, man, he doesn't come as a powerful, mighty, influential king, but he humbles himself and he comes as one of us, without wealth, without privilege. Jesus comes, man, born, born into poverty as a regular guy, a regular guy, born to humble means. Um, but, but, but God says this is the one who's going to one day, he's going to rule forever. He's going to be the one where the government rests on his shoulders. When Jesus returns, um, he's going to return as a king. You know, he came as, as, a, as a humble, regular guy, son of a carpenter, traveling preacher, uh, man, without, without, his, without a, an address, right? Without a place to live. He says, man, foxes have holes they can sleep in at night, but the son of man, it's a nickname he had for himself, has no place to lay his head, right? And so, so God, in the flesh, uh, just traveling, homeless dude, stepped into poverty when, when he had all the riches of heaven at his disposal. But when Jesus returns, he's going to return as a king uh, to triumph over evil, to set all the wrong things right, to rule over all that belongs to him. One day a king will come that's going to set everything right, who's going to be a perfect and just ruler in a way that no sinful leader could ever be. And every king and queen of history, every prime minister and dictator and president, and if they're human, they're flawed. If they're human, they're not perfect, right? They're going to make mistakes and big ones, right? They're, they're going to screw up. When we put our trust in a, in a political leader, um, it's going to let us down. It's going to disappoint us every single time. Man, we, our country gets so just fever pitch excited during election season that, that this candidate's going to set everything right, that this candidate's going to fix everything. If we let this person be king, uh, our lives are going to be so much better. But then they're not. And then we do it four years later. And then we do it four years later and, and we're just disappointed and disappointed. Every time a human is in charge, there's, it's going to be disappointment. 
Until it's King Jesus on the throne, it's going to be disappointment after disappointment, right? But Jesus promises, man, I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back for my people, and I'm going to establish a kingdom uh, where evil is going to be done away with, and it's going to be peace forever. And until then, we wait patiently, right? Until then, we don't put our trust in political leaders that, man, this, this guy or this lady is going to make everything right, and they're going to save us. Um, that we're going to wait patiently, wait patiently for Jesus. We're going to put our trust, our hope in the Lord. So Israel sees each successive king become worse and worse than before, leading the nation of Israel further and further from God. And there are consequences for all this idolatry. These people are serving idols. They're, they're, they're serving the, the idols, the gods that all the neighboring countries worship instead of serving the Lord. Uh, and there's consequences for that. Again and again, God warns His people through the prophets that their idolatry is going to bring judgment upon them. And that judgment might come in the form of death and destruction, famine, sickness, and often uh, in neighboring countries invading and and having military victory over them. Um, And and we see this happen again and again. This pattern emerges that these people turn away from God and start serving idols. And God lifts His hand of protection off of them. Disaster befalls them. And they say, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? And they come back to God. God, please save us. Please save us. We repent. We did wrong. We're sorry for serving idols. Please save us and rescue us. So God does. He rescues them. And then they go right back to their idols. And then they start the cycle all over again. They serve idols. God lifts His hand of protection. Disaster comes. Whether they're defeated by their enemies uh, or or whatever that, that destruction, that judgment looks like. They turn back to God. God forgives them because He's gracious. He's merciful. He's slow to anger and full of love. He forgives them. He gives them second chance and third chance and thousandth chance and ten thousandth chance. And He does that for us too. Um, but, but again and again, man, when God forgives them, the, the disaster goes away, and then they turn back uh, to their idols again. This happens again and again and again. And eventually for Israel, it reaches a point where God warns them, all of Israel is going to be conquered and destroyed if you don't turn away from your idolatry. All of your people will be taken as captives and be exiled to become servants in a foreign land. He says, I'm pleading with you. I'm pleading with you. And destroy your idols. These worthless, empty things that can't really help you and can't really save you, that are just causing you problems, turn away from those things and be faithful to me. And the God who loves you, uh, the God that's called you to be my own people, uh, he, says, he says, man, if you, if you continue to persist in this idolatry, it's going gonna, it's gonna to bring destruction. The whole nation is going to be destroyed, and you're going to be led into captivity, and into bondage. You're going to be servants in a foreign land. Um, that's exactly what happens. And the people, people persist in idolatry, uh, and, and invading, invading nations come, and they conquer them. Uh, Israel, uh, remember I said it, split, it had split into two kingdoms at this point, Israel and Judah. Israel gets led uh, into captivity. Um, and then a few years later, um, and Judah's overtaken, and they're led into captivity as well. Uh, and, and so the track tonight is empire and exile. And after this empire of a lot of wicked kings and a couple good ones, um, and the people persist in their sin and idolatry, and they're eventually exiled. Uh, and they have to leave the land that God promised them, and they go live in Babylon. They go live in a foreign country uh, where they live um, and, and as servants to this other people. Um, and God promised them, He warned them it was going to happen. God speaks through the prophet Jeremiah uh, that this exile is not going to last forever. It's just for a season. There will be a day where they return back to Israel, uh, where they return back to the land that God promised. 
Uh, but there's going to be a season, man, where there's judgment, where they're there in exile uh, as a consequence for their sin and idolatry. And so we're reading all this, we're going through all this, and we may think, come on, guys. Man, when are you going to learn? Man, it's the cycle of, of idolatry, disaster, repentance, and then back to idolatry again and again and again. And as we're reading this, uh, we may think, man, come on. And then they repent. It seems like they're doing good. Okay, all right, they're doing good. They're serving the Lord. And then a few verses, they're right back to serving idols again. You're thinking, come on. What is wrong with you people? When are you going to learn? Except that and we do the exact same thing. We do the exact same thing. We turn to idols. We trust in other things. We make other things the, the focus of our attention, the focus of our lives, until trouble and problems come. And then we turn to the Lord, beg Him to save us. God, things have gotten bad. Please save me. God, my finances are non-existent. Right? Uh, man, my, all my relationships are jacked up and everybody hates me. Right? My, all my classes are, are really, really bad. And I'm going to flunk out. God, I need your help. God, I need you. Please save me. And then he does. Or the problem goes away for a while. And we forget God and it's right back to whatever we want to fill up our life with. It's not him. And we're exactly like man, this nation of Israel. Turning back to idolatry again and again. Making other things the focus of our life instead of the Lord. And the story of Israel, man, is the story of us. And as we're reading the Old Testament, we see these people turn away from God again and again and again. It's looking in a mirror. Man, this is human nature. This is the story of us. We see our own nature on display in the history of these people. And even though, and these things that we fill up our lives with, even though we would never say that we're trusting in that thing to save us, we would never say, this thing is my God and I'm worshiping it. Um, When they take up so much of your time, so much of your energy, so much of your focus and attention that it crowds God out of your life that you don't have any time or, 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 or ability to give, to give God the attention He deserves, to, to love Him, to serve Him, to worship Him. Um, I mean, don't have the time to pray. Don't have the time to read the Bible. Don't have the time to fellowship with other believers. Don't have the time to share your faith. And those things have become idols to you. And God is not the priority that He should be in your life. Or if there's things that we derive our identity from instead of establishing our identity based on who we are in Christ as loved and accepted children of God. If we get our identity from anything else, if we establish our identity on, uh, man, I'm a good student, right? That, that that's who I am. I, I'm, I'm the guy that gets straight A's. I'm the guy that does well in all my classes. Um, I'm the good grades guy. So all, all my classmates think that I'm pretty special. Man, how, how do you get those good grades, Matt? Show, show me your study skills. Okay, I feel pretty good about myself, right, if I'm a good grades guy. Man, until the day, man, I hit a class that I can't handle, and I get the B, I get the C, I get the D. Uh, I really, where's my identity then? I was the good grades guy. I don't know who I am if I don't have that A, right? Or if our identity is on, man, I'm the popular guy. Man, everyone wants to be my friend. Everybody likes to be around me. Uh, I get invited to every party. It's not even a party until I get there, right? Everybody loves me. Everybody wants me around. I'm the popular guy. I mean, that's my identity, right? I can make everybody laugh. I can make everybody smile. Everyone wants me around. And what happens the day that all your friends are gone, you're alone, you're in a situation, uh, and your job takes you to a new town. You don't have any friends. You don't know anybody. If being the popular guy, being the popular girl was your whole identity, then what's your identity then? Right? If we make our identity, if we derive our identity from anything but the Lord, from anything but that we're God's son or God's daughter, that we're loved and accepted, if our identity is derived from anything except who we are in Christ because of what Jesus has done for us, um, then that thing we're deriving our identity from eventually is going to let us down. Eventually it's going to disappoint us. Right? Eventually it's not going to be enough. Right? We're going to be in a, a crisis, a desperate place. 
Um, whatever we derive our identity from, if it's not the Lord, and then that thing's an idol. So how do we fight to keep our focus on the Lord? Fight to keep our focus on Jesus and not slip into idolatry. And so we've got uh, two questions, and then we're going to kind of wrap up with this. And I said earlier, man, it's through daily self-evaluation. Daily looking at yourself in the spiritual mirror and saying, let me take an inventory of my life. Have I let anything become an idol in my life? Have I let anything take God's place in my heart? So I want you to ask yourselves daily these two questions. These two questions. The first one, other than work and school, eating and sleeping and other essentials, is there anything in my life that is taking up so much of my time and attention that I don't pray? That I don't read the Bible? That I don't actively share my faith with others? And that I'm not, not worshiping the Lord. You know, so just, just asking yourself, other than the essentials, okay, I gotta eat, I gotta sleep. Sleeping's not, not a waste of time, unless you're sleeping like 14 hours a night, then, then you might be lazy, right? Um, oh, you I got point fingers. Uh, you know, but, but, but you gotta sleep, right? So, so you, can't, you can't be like, oh, God, I'm just wasting all this, wasting huge stretches of time, like six, seven hours a night, I'm just laying there doing nothing but sleeping. No, that's not wasteful. No, you need to do that. You need to rest. Um, so, so other than eating and sleeping, other than mandatory work, school stuff that you gotta do, um, other than those essentials, is there anything else in your life, though, that's taking up so much time that, that there's not time to pray, there's not time to, to, to worship the Lord, not time to read your Bible, not time to share your faith or fellowship with other believers and be encouraged in the Lord? Um, and if so, and that thing that's crowding God out of your life uh, is an idol, and it needs to be minimized so that God's role in your life can increase. Or it may need to be cut out altogether. You may look at it and say, I don't need this thing at all. Like, I really don't. If it's keeping me from the Lord, I'm going to chuck it, right? Or maybe it's something you just need to dial back a little bit uh, so that God can get the, the role that He deserves in your life. So that's question number one. Question number two. Is there anything in my life that I'm deriving my identity from more than I am from belonging to Jesus? So if you just kind of think of your identity, and I know that can be really abstract, and this is something you may need to just chew on this week. And chew on when you go home tonight and you're laying there in bed. Chew on this weekend as you're, as you're just kind of thinking on things. Uh, is there, you know, what, is, what is my identity? You know, how, do, how do I think of myself? How would I define myself? What do I get value from as a person? And, and to where if I didn't have this thing, I wouldn't even know who I was. Whatever that is for you. And if it's, if it's anything but that you belong to God because of Jesus, um, and then you got to wonder, man, why am I deriving so much of my identity from this thing? This thing needs to be minimized in my life so I can be more focused on uh, just being thankful uh, that I belong to God. Thankful for what Jesus has done for me. That who I am uh, is not who the world says I am. It's not who my friends or family even say I am. Uh, it's not who the University of Memphis says I am. Uh, that, that I'm who God says I am. And God says that you're created in His image. And that He loves you. That you have value and worth. Uh, because of what Jesus has done for you on the cross, you can be forgiven. You can be welcomed into the family of God as a son and a daughter. I mean, if you're a son and a daughter of God, you cannot have a higher position than that. You cannot have a greater worth and identity than that. 
Um, but, but if we get sidetracked and we're deriving identity from something else, and, and a way that you know that you're kind of deriving your identity from something else uh, is what really disappoints you. Like what just really crushes you to pieces when this doesn't go my way or, or this doesn't happen or, or these people think this of me. And sometimes that's a red flag. That's a warning light that, man, I, I'm, I'm driving way too much identity from what other people think about me. I'm driving way too much identity from this situation going just my way every time. Uh, instead of deriving my identity from who I am in Christ, who I am because of what Jesus did. Um, it's not that you'll never be disappointed, right? As uh, man, When you make Jesus the focus of your life. Um, but those things won't just absolutely crush you. And the things that just wipe everybody else out. Say, man, I don't even know what life is anymore. It won't do that to you, right? It'll be dis- disappointing. It'll be discouraging. But you'll have a hope that's greater than that. You'll have a peace that's greater than that. You'll have a joy that'll be your strength to get through those situations. So those are the two questions. And those are the things I kind of want you guys to be asking yourself uh, this week. Um, you know, what are the things that are, that are crowding out God in my life? And is there anything that I'm deriving my identity from more than I'm deriving it from belonging to Jesus? One last verse to look at. Uh, this one's from the New Testament. First uh, John 5.21. John, Jesus' best friend, one of his disciples, he says, Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. You know, as, as children of God, man, we should be on the lookout for anything that might try to take God's place in our hearts. And it could be literally anything. Literally anything. It could be a relationship. A good relationship. And as long as it just stays a relationship and doesn't grow to the point where, man, man I'm deriving my identity from it, that if I'm not, if I'm not boyfriend of so-and-so, I don't know who I am, right? that, that's when it's kind of out of control. That's when it's an idol. Right? Um, to beware and, and, and keep away from anything that might be an idol in your heart, that might take God's place in your heart. This would be an encouragement, something for you guys to think on and pray about this week. You guys bow your heads with me. We're going to pray. God, I'm thankful that in the history of your people, the history of Israel, was carefully recorded for us, carefully written down by scribes and scholars throughout the centuries, passed down to us, and that they were honest scribes. They didn't say Israel was always faithful, always victorious, that they were honest with their own failures, their own faults, the times they blew it, the times they turned away from God and started serving idols, uh, and and, and the judgment and the disaster and the defeat that was a consequence of that. I'm thankful not not for the disaster and and, and the, the situations that they experienced, but from what we can learn from it, that we can look at it uh, and, and see ourselves in it. God, that we see our own unfaithfulness in it. We see our own tendency to make other things uh, the focal point of our life instead of you. God, I pray that we'd learn from it. That we'd learn from that history, God. Like the saying goes, or we're doomed to repeat it, God, that we'd learn from it. That we'd learn from it, God. God, help us to, to center our lives on you make you the focus of every part of our life and be cautious, be careful that we're not letting anything else uh, grow so large in our life that it crowds you out, that it pushes you out. That there's something else that we're trusting in to save us. There was something else that's getting, getting our primary focus, our primary attention and affection and love. God, we know it only belongs to you. 
you alone, the God who created us, the God who made us, the God who loves us, the God who sent his own son to die for us. Jesus, you alone are worthy of all of my worship, the focus of my life. You alone deserve to be Lord of my life. No one else did for me what you did for me, Jesus. And no other person went to the cross for me. No one else died for me. No one else takes my sin and makes me brand new and gives me second chance after second chance when I've blown it. No one else accepts me just as I am. Who sees all the faults, all the problems, all just the disgusting, gross stuff underneath. All my, my wicked thoughts, all my false motivations, the things no one else sees. God, you see it all and you still love me. You see it all and you still want me as your son. God, for those reasons and, and, and 10,000 others, God, you alone deserve our worship. You alone deserve to be God. God, right now, we just want to repent of anything else that's taking your place in our hearts.